Good morning. morning. Happy Sabbath. What a beautiful Sabbath it is. I love it when we can have the windows open and let the fresh air come in, don't you? It's really nice. Let me just get things set up here a little bit. It'll take me a minute. It's a beautiful spring so far. Do you see all the trees budding and the flowers budding? I just, I come to life when it seems like nature comes to life. I don't know about you. I feel miserable in winter and I feel great in spring and summer. I do, and that's the truth. I think they suffer from that syndrome they call SAD syndrome, or that seasonal affective disorder. I would say that's me. Yeah, just everything. It's just everything. Um, is this time? Okay, thank you. If you don't mind, I'm just going to kneel for prayer before we begin. Heavenly Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again to be in your house of worship, Lord. And truly, we are here to worship you, both in spirit and truth, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit be upon all of us and upon me as I present the message that you have given me. May the speaker not be uplifted, but only your word and the, and the message that you have given us through the spirit of prophecy. If there be any sins or be anything that would keep your presence from being here, Lord, please forgive us of those sins and transform our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, w- I would like to talk about a, a subject, if you know me very well, you know that I love talking about the subject of salvation and what it, what it is that we need in order to be saved. And um, I think in this life it should be a very high priority, don't you think, that we contemplate what God requires, what is involved in the plan of salvation. Would you agree with me? Yes. It's very high. We should spend time thinking about that and studying that. When we think of salvation, we often think about Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. And rightfully so, we should, because what he did was tremendous in saving us from the condemnation of the law, the law that we broke. But it's also, I feel, that we need to spend some time thinking about what the Father has done as well. Because we often think of Jesus, but we don't often always think a lot about what the Father did. And that the salvation would have never happened if the Father wasn't willing to send his side to die on the cross for us. Isn't that right? So Jesus gave and the Father gave. In fact, we're told in Patriarch and Prophets, page 63, that it was even a struggle for God the Father to send his Son into this world. And I'd like to read this. The fall of man filled all heaven with sorrow. The world that God had made was blighted with the curse of sin and and inhabited beings doomed to misery and death. There appeared no escape for those who had transgressed the law, but the Son of God, heaven's glorious commander, was touched with the pity for the fallen race. His heart was moved with infinite compassion. And because of God's love, divine love had conceived a plan where we might might be redeemed. The broken law of God demanded the life of the sinner, In all the universe, there was but one who could, in behalf of man, satisfy its claims. Since the divine law is as sacred as God himself, only one, equal with God, can make atonement for his transgression. None but Christ could redeem fallen man from the curse of the law and bring him again into harmony with heaven. Now, I want you to picture this in this next statement in your mind. Before the Father, Jesus pleaded in the sinner's behalf. While the host of heaven awaited with the results, with intensity and interest that words cannot express. 
Long continued was this mysterious communion. Yet it was a struggle even for the king of the universe, meaning God the Father, to yield up his son to die for the guilty race. But God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that to whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Oh, the mystery of redemption, the love of God for a world that did not love him. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, to think about what the Father did. Now, of course, we know God sees all things from the end, from the beginning, right? I mean, the Father knew exactly all that would happen to Jesus Christ. He knew that he would be spit upon, beat, crowns of thorns placed on his head and beat into his temple. He knew that he would be stripped naked and nailed to a tree. You can see why it would have been a struggle for the Father to see that happen to his son. But yet, he so loved us that he was willing to give up his son. And not only that, you think about, and Jesus himself gave himself for us in the plan of salvation. Isn't God loving? I mean, sometimes you see me tear up up here. It's because I'm so amazed that God will love such an unworthy person as as me. Do you feel that way too sometimes? It really touches my heart. And the longer I more study this subject, the softer and softer my heart becomes. So I just become a whimpering fool sometimes up here. It's the truth. I am so touched by God's love. But that was not all who was involved in the plan of salvation. The Holy Spirit itself was also involved in the plan of salvation. And that's what we're going to spend our our focus on this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit's role in the plan of salvation is immensely important. And yet we talk so little about the Holy Spirit's role. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now I'm going to read the statement here. It's found in Patrick and Prophets, page uh, 64. I'm sorry, yeah. Patrick and Prophets, page 64. It's a short statement. After the fall, man had become so degraded by sin that it was impossible for him in himself to come into harmony with, with him whose nature is purity and goodness. But Christ, after having redeemed man from the condemnation of the law by dying on the cross, could impart divine power to unite with human effort. Thus, by repentance towards God and faith in Christ, the fallen children of Adam might once become the sons of God, the sons and daughters of God, by this divine power. I want to spend some time on focusing on what is this divine power. That Christ would impart. And the answer is actually found in a book called Desire of Ages, page 671. And I'm going to show you a lot of this stuff in the spirit of prophecy, but I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible as well. Because I know there are some that are weak in the spirit of prophecy, and I want you to go home totally convicted. What I'm sharing with you today is absolutely true. So Desire Desire of Ages, page 671. Jesus, in describing to his disciples the office work or the role of the Holy Spirit... Jesus sought to inspire them with the joy and hope that inspired his own heart. He, Jesus, rejoiced because of the abundant help he had provided for the church. The Holy Spirit was the highest of all gifts that he could solicit from his Father for the exaltation of his people. The Holy Spirit was to be given as a regenerating agent. And get this, and without this, the Holy Spirit, without this, the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of Christ would have been of no avail. 
The power of evil had been strengthening for centuries, and the submission of men to this satanic captivity was amazing. I'm sure that we all sense that captivity today. Sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead, who would come with no modified energy, but in the fullness of divine power. So what was the divine power that Jesus was to impart? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that he was to send. And I go on. It is the Holy Spirit that makes effectual what has been wrought out by the world's Redeemer on the cross. It is by the Holy Spirit that the heart is to be made pure. Through the Holy Spirit, the believer becomes partaker of the divine nature that Christ, and Christ has given his Holy Spirit as a divine power. That is the divine power, the Holy Spirit, to overcome all hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil and to impress his own character upon his church. Do you see why we need the Holy Spirit? We need to spend some time studying and contemplating the work of the Holy Spirit in the plan of salvation in order to be saved. The Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit has always been a part of the plan of salvation. The Bible tells us in Mark 1.8, this is John the Baptist speaking, and John says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he, meaning Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So the Bible is very clear that not only did John point out Jesus, the Lamb of God, but he pointed out Jesus is the one that's going to send the Holy Spirit to you. You can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it's very important. In the book of uh, Acts of the Apostles, as Robbie had read, I'm going to read it again. It's hard to, I want to read bits and pieces of it, but I felt like it just takes it out of, a little out of context, so to keep it in context. The former treaties I have made, this is Paul writing in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days in, in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which says he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When you therefore come together, they ask of him, saying, Lord, will the kingdom, will you, this time will they restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me and to Jerusalem and all Judea and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So you can see that Jesus was telling his disciples after he ascended that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. Now all of us know that this is the time of Pentecost, right? We all know that there was an early rain, and we know that before Jesus comes, there's going to be a latter rain. At the early rain, the disciples went out, healed the sick, raised the dead, and they showed proof that this this movement that Jesus Christ and his disciples had started was from God. And God's going to re-show that again in the end of the world right before Jesus comes. But it isn't just in the early and latter rain. This Holy Spirit was given to us now. Not like Pentecost, 
but it might, if we live in the time of the latter rain, uh, we will go through that. But I want to focus on that this, this Holy Spirit is to be utilized now. Notice what the Bible says in Romans 8, chapter 13 and 14, in regards to the Holy Spirit. For you, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But listen to this. But if you, through the Holy Spirit, do mortify, that means to put away the deeds of the body or of the flesh, you shall live. For as many are led of the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So we need the Holy Spirit if we're ever going to be the sons and daughters of God. And just as we've already read through the spirit of prophecy, we need the Holy Spirit to keep us from the flesh, from sinning, from falling into carnal activity, if you will. And that was, and of course, we know that this was not meant just for the disciples. Uh, we know that this, when Paul was speaking, he was speaking to God's church. That's us. And this is a salvation issue. In it is life and death. We, are, uh, we already know that uh, the Holy Spirit has come to regenerate, to recreate, to make us new. And a very familiar, I know you're very familiar, but well worth reading again. John, one of the disciples in chapter 3, reads this in regards to the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher of God, and you come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus in answer said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So unless you're born again, you cannot be saved. Is that clear? Nicodemus said unto them, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, or the truth, the truth, as it's translated, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. I'm sorry, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now in reference to the Holy Spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst tell where it cometh or where it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So we can't see the Spirit, but we need to feel the results of the Spirit. And these results must happen in a change of heart. We who are carnal must become spiritual if we're ever going to enter the kingdom. There's no guarantee that we're going to go to the kingdom because we're a seven-day Adventist. This transformation, this rebirth, this born-again experience needs to happen in our lives if we have any hopes of being in the heaven. So the question I have for you is, are you carnal or are you spiritual? Something to think about. How long have we been seven-day Adventists? How long have we been Christians? How long have we been in the faith and are yet we still carnal? Are we still in the flesh? Have we not spent time studying these very truths found in the Bible, the spirit of prophecy on the subject? Have we ignored the Holy Spirit's role in the plan of salvation? I find that the role of the Holy Spirit in the plan of salvation is eminent. It was so important. Without this, what Jesus did on the cross would have been of no avail. There needs to be a change in us. Again, I read from Romans chapter 8, verses 13 to 14. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. 
But if you through the Holy Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Life and death. This is a life and death question. This is a life and death issue. And it's very important that we understand this. Again, in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, Paul goes on to say, just very much like what he said, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There you have it again. Life, death. Born again, you go to heaven. Walk, if you're in the spirits, you go to heaven. If you're spiritually minded, you go to heaven. But if you're carnal, living in the flesh, it's death. Can't be saved. Not born again, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, brothers and sisters. Doesn't make a difference if you're a seven-day Adventist, been baptized and paid tithe. It won't matter. None of those things won't save you. I'm not saying they're not important. They are important. But they won't save you. This understanding of this is so important to be saved. And it was even taught symbolically in the Old Testament, this separation of the carnal nature. And it was taught in the ceremony of the circumcision service. The Israelite male babies, as you know, were taught to be circumcised on the eighth day. And it's, as you know, it's circumcision is the removal of the flesh. If you don't know what that is, talk to somebody later about that. But it's a removal of the flesh. There was actually a fleshly part of the human body in which was removed. And this had to happen if the child was to be a member of the children of Israel. Let me say that again. This separation of the flesh needed to be happened in order for you to be a child of God. And this separation of the flesh needs to happen to us today as well. The Bible is absolutely clear on this. The Apostle Paul made this point very clear in Romans 2, chapter 2, verses 29. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that needs to remove this carnal, fleshly nature from us. So who does the circumcision then? The Holy Spirit, right? But we need to solicit the Holy Spirit in order for this circumcision to happen. You see, God wants to circumcise all of our hearts, both males and females. It was never meant to be just for the males. It was a clear illustration symbolically that there needs to be this separation of this carnal, fleshly nature that we have. And it is this, this circumcision of the heart is a, a salvation issue. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 30, and verse 6, it says this, And the Lord our God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. It's a salvation issue again. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. Is God's law spiritual? Amen, right? The Bible is very clear. Romans seven fourteen. For we know that the law is spiritual. Can a carnal person, a person in the flesh, keep God's law? It's not possible. Does God want us to keep his law? Absolutely, right? If you love me, keep my commandments. So in order for us, we ever want to keep God's commandments, we need to have this born-again experience. We need to have this regeneration, this transformation that God has, has given us, and it needs to happen by the Holy Spirit and God himself circumcise our heart. But do you think God could ever do that circumcision without our cooperation? It can't happen. It can't happen. 
No carnal or fleshly person will ever enter the kingdom of heaven. Are the angels spiritual? Is God himself spiritual? Do we, can you picture yourself being there fleshly and carnal-minded in heaven? Can't happen. That's the reason why this change has to happen in this life before Jesus comes. So when he comes in the cloud of heaven, he can take us to heaven and be with him. That's why this being born again, this transformation that the Holy Spirit does is so important. And we need to take time and understand that. You know, we're told in the spirit of prophecy that in the plan of salvation, that the whole plan was to bring man in the condition, uh, I'm sorry, to a condition as he was before the fall. Was Adam and Eve created spiritual or carnal? Spiritual, right? They didn't become carnal until after the fall. And the spirit of prophecy, again, tells us in our high calling, page 138, that God's plan is to bring us to the condition before the fall. So it can't be any clearer. The plan of salvation did not end at the cross. And unfortunately, this teaching in the world is being taught everywhere. Just believe in Jesus, he died for your sins, and you're going to heaven. Not if you ain't born again, you ain't. Not if there is no circumcision of your heart, you're not. Not if you haven't changed, if, you, if you're still carnally minded, you're not. Paul tells us in Galatians 6.15, chapter 6 and verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor our uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what we need. That's the whole purpose of being the circumcision of the heart. God wants to recreate us, and he uses the Holy Spirit to regenerate, to recreate us. In Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, I read, that we need a washing of regeneration and a renewing by the Holy Ghost, which he, Jesus, shed upon us abundantly. Do you see that? The Bible is very clear that we need this washing, this regeneration, this recreation. And it happens through the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to ask yourself, we're going to get into how to receive the Holy Spirit. But I want to ask you a question. Is there some meter, is there some gauge, is there somehow we can know if we are spiritually minded? If we are born again. The Bible says that there is a meter that we can know. It's found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. It reads, Whosoever is born of God, that means a person that is born again, and who has become spiritual. <clears throat> I'm going to read it again. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. You see, a born person born of God doesn't what? He doesn't commit sin. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't become born of God and stumble and fall. I'm not saying that. Okay? But if you're walking in the Spirit, and, you, and the Spirit has truly circumcised your heart, one prominent thing will not be seen in your life, and that is sin. Amen? Can a person be spiritual and sin too? Can't happen. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, if we walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ain't that a great statement? We need the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, and that's what I'm trying to get across today. We need the Holy Spirit, and we need to understand the important role of the Holy Spirit and the plan of salvation. So let's come back to the big question. 
then how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Obviously, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he definitely sent his Holy Spirit. And there's no question that the Holy Spirit's been active in your life or you wouldn't be here today. Amen? There's no question about the Holy Spirit uh, has touched all of our lives. There's no question. But there is a much more outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we need. You know, there is a statement in the world that goes like this. I have a need for speed. You ever heard that statement? Race car drivers say that I have to have a need for speed. People who love roller coasters, I love speed. I need need the need for speed. But God's people better feel their need of the Holy Spirit. We need to be saying, I need to feel the need of the Holy Spirit. And I feel this need is spiritually lacking in all of us, including me. God always gives the speaker the message first who needs it the most before I give it to you guys. So I stand the most guilty. Okay, I don't stand up here like, oh yeah, I'm all that. No, God has made it very clear to me that I need to feel the need of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so then how do we receive this Holy Spirit? And the Bible makes it so clear. It's found in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. And Jesus is speaking. If then you, being evil, know how to get good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit that ask him? Could it really be that simple? All we have to do is ask God for the Holy Spirit? Well, I'll tell you what. James makes it very clear in chapter 4, verses 2. That's all we have to do. Because Paul says, or James says, he says, if, if um, you have not, because you ask not. Let me ask you a question. How often, don't answer this, only in your mind, how often do you ask God for the Holy Spirit? Could it be that's the reason why you're still struggling with sin? Could it be is that's the reason that we have not been transformed into his character more than what we should be this day after being in God's church this long? Has it been that simple? Just because we haven't asked? I believe it's true. I'm going to end here with a spirit of prophecy Uh, statement, which kind of puts everything that I have brought out in the spirit of prophecy, it's not me, everything I present is in the Bible spirit of prophecy, it's not your spirit, don't lift me up. And it reads this, I want you to listen very closely and then we'll end with prayer. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not limited to any age or any race. Christ has declared that his divine influence of his spirit was to be with his followers unto the end. From the day of Pentecost to the present time, the cover has been sent to all who will yield themselves fully to the Lord and to his service. To all who have accepted Christ as a personal Savior, the Holy Spirit has come as a counselor, sanctifier, sanctifier means to be made holy, a guide and a witness. Those who at Pentecost were endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit, were not thereby freed from further temptation and trial. Good point to bring out. Daily they prayed for fresh supplies of grace, which is divine power. Do we pray daily for grace and for divine power for the Holy Spirit? That they might reach, and I go on, that they may reach a higher and still higher toward perfection. They submitted to the molding influence of the Holy Spirit. The lapse of time The lapse of time has wrought no change in Christ's parting promise. 
to send the Holy Spirit as his representative. It is not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace, that divine power, did not flow to earth toward, I'm sorry, did not flow earthward to men. Now listen to this. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, it is because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. We need to fill the need, brothers. If all were willing, all would be filled with the Spirit. If we were willing, wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of, there is seen spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual death. Is that where we're at? Maybe it's because we haven't utilized the Spirit. And I read on. Since this, the Holy Spirit is the means by which we are to receive power, why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, and preach concerning it? Amen? The Lord is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him than parents are to give good gifts to their children. Ask for the daily baptism of His, of his Spirit. Amen? Do you feel your need of the Spirit, brothers and sisters? I do. If you, if you caught that from today's sermon, you caught the message. But we need to ask God daily for the Holy Spirit. And if you do, we should see major changes in our life. We ask to ask the Lord, please, Lord, send your Spirit to regenerate my heart. Change my heart, Lord. Circumcise my heart. Change my heart, Lord. I need it. I'm asking you for it. And I, if we do that, according to God's Word, we should see major changes in our life. There shouldn't be a day go by that we don't feel our need for the Holy Spirit. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the message of the Holy Spirit. The message that you have given us in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Help us feel the need every moment, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. We are asking for a circumcision of the heart. Help us to put away the deeds of the body, mortify the deeds of the body through the spirit that you have given us. We are asking for that, that you may change our hearts, that we may rise higher and higher to reflect your character, reflect your glory, Lord. We know that we can't do it without you, but we know that we thank you for sending the, this gift, this the Holy Spirit to us in this plan of salvation to change us, to regenerate, to wash us, Lord. We ask that today. May we not, may this not be a message that once we walk out the door we forget. May we wake up every day remembering this. And I just want to thank you for hearing our prayers. And I know that you will do exactly what you say in your word that you have given us in the Bible and in the spirit of prophecy. We know that you will do it. And I can testify, Lord, before these people that I have noticed huge changes in my life with this understanding and soliciting and asking for the Holy Spirit. And I know that everybody here will have the same experience. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Not that we can't fall. But when we do fall, we're going to remember how we've separated ourselves from you. May we never separate ourselves from you. May we every day wake up and ask for fresh supplies of your Spirit, Lord. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and our King. Amen. Amen. We're going to have our uh, closing song.
I think it's 269, right? I also have a copy of that last statement in the Spirit of Prophecy, which I don't think I told you where it's from. It's Acts of the Apostles, page 49 and 50. And I'm going to put a, a stack of these in back if you want a copy to help you remember a little bit of this powerful statement in the Spirit of Prophecy. Please take one per family, okay? 269. And if we could all stand. Scriptures, the Lord says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. May the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us. May people see Christ in us. May they inquire, what is it that you have that I don't have? And may we share with them the joy and the love that we so richly love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.